It's refreshment time, folks. After returns and videotapes. Are either one of these any good? I don't watch movies. Do you like scary movies, Sydney? You have a TV? No. I just like to read the TV guide. Read the TV guide. Don't need a TV. Books, records, films, these things matter. Call me shallow. It's the fucking truth. Over 1,600 titles, each for rent at just $2 the first night and only a... Finish it. I don't watch TV. Yeah, but you are aware that there's an invention called television, and on this invention they show shows, right? Tonight on Six Ed World. Okay, one channels 18, 24, 63, 10987, and weather channel. Welcome to the Frog Brothers Podcast with your hosts Justin and Alec. Hello, and welcome to the twelfth episode of the Frog Brothers Podcast. I'm your co-host Justin, and with me, as always, is my esteemed colleague. Alec, welcome. How are you doing? Hey, how's it going? Fine, thanks. And yourself? Oh, <clears throat> uh, you know, it's gone. Oh, you? It's a going. Oh, is that Darwin? No, it's Yoshi, the loud one. Oh, Yoshi. Darwin is the one who's in all of my mail videos. Uh, Yoshi's the so one you get- hear in the podcast. <laughs> Well, thanks for clarifying that, because I'm sure people want to know. Yeah. He's, like, literally six inches from the microphone right now, like, can I get in this? Yeah, he's got opinions on shit. He's important. We gotta let him have his moment. Hey, so the Plasma series is starting to show up at Walmarts. Yeah, that's what I heard. Uh, So you can save a a little bit of change there. One of the guys in Midland Empire Ghostbusters, I guess, found some there today posted about it so that's uh interesting news yeah because i thought they were target exclusive at least for retail stores but clearly not nope and then if you're up in the kansas city area for an extra five dollars if you're looking to find them easy the vintage stocks carry them as well one of the guys also sent a photo of vintage stock loaded up on the plasma series figure so that's also another option if you're in the kc area nice so the other thing I saw on Instagram was that uh, Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous toys are hitting stores. And if you're not familiar with Camp Cretaceous, that's a net Netflix exclusive in the Jurassic World series. It takes place during the first Jurassic World movie of some kids that are there camping, which we'll see how that plays out unless it's going to be like a Christmas break camp, considering the first movie takes place over Christmas break. The way they set it up, we'll, we'll see. But some of those toys are hitting shelves, so they're a little bit more cartoon-looking. So they're aimed at a younger audience. So I think they're going to almost be like a mix between some of the really young toddler toys and the other other lines. So I'm curious to see what the figures look like. But it'll be kind of cool to see something stylized in that series for the first time ever, really. I was uh, so. at Target today. I was just dropping by. I do already have a full set of the plasma figures, but I wanted uh, just to see if they had them. Because if they had a full set, I was like, fuck it. I'll just buy another set and open them so I can put them together. But I'm not like that worried about getting another set necessarily because I still might open these since I think you can open and close these. Besides the tape, obviously. But um, Yeah, so those actually are very repackageable compared to the Mattel line. This is, like, made to be opened or repackaged if you want, aside from the build-a-figure, which who knows how easy that is to tear apart. Right. 
So you're tearing me <clears> apart. I went through the toy section. I was looking for those. Didn't see them. Started glancing at some Star Wars stuff because I don't really like to buy a lot of Star Wars toys. I'm kind of just very limited on those and stuff. But it's cool to look at and see all the stuff because they do have fucking a sick amount of awesome Star Wars toys out right now. So. Yes, and uh, Hasbro Pulse showed some pretty cool stuff off today on their. Uh, they did a live stream in the in the afternoon today, and one of the things they revealed was a um, a Bespin Cloud City playset. So if if you just get one of them, you can kind of set it up to put Han Solo and Carbonite. But if you do two of them, you get like the full playset thing. And the way they've done the lighting on there, it's really made for people that are big into toy photography or having a pretty cool display piece set up. So. If you haven't seen that, check out the Hasbro Pulse live stream video. I'm sure they've got photos up, too. That was pretty cool to check out. I did out. see a photo of uh, what you were saying, the carbonite room, the chamber there. That looked pretty cool. So, like you said, yeah, I'm pretty, stuff's awesome. pretty stoked on that. And it's like, you know, it makes you just want to collect Star Wars shit. And it's like, God damn it, there's just so much to collect. You have to be so selective. And it's like, I think I'm going to, you know, collect some Shadows of the Empire stuff. And we've talked about that. I don't know if we talked about it a bunch on here, but... Uh, yeah, so uh, that's kind of where I'm at. So I've got the Shadows of the Empire novelization, or the book, I guess, not even, you know, just the novel that they have. Yeah. I've got uh, a copy of the trade paperback of the comic series, the original series, uh, on order, and then obviously the Nintendo 64 game. So sometime when we spend some time together, we'll do... a. A playthrough of the old video game on the N64, go through the comics and talk about the book and kind of do a whole immersive experience because that was kind of Lucasfilm testing the waters for how much more Star Wars people wanted and different ways to bring in bring in a story without actually making a movie. So yeah, I, I've said it before and I'll say That'd it again. Cool. I want to see I some characters from this. <laughs> yeah, I love being a turtle. I love this town. No. Uh, what was I saying? I fucking lost it. <laughs> I derailed your train of thought. Woohoo! Uh, no, you're talking about you'd love to see some characters. Oh, from Shadows of the Empire so, make their way into the Mandalorian. But, you know. Yes, that would be pretty badass. Um, you know, they've already added some of those things from Shadows of the Empire into Star Wars canon, like Dash Render's Outrider is technically canon because it's in the special edition. You see it leaving, either coming or going from Moss Eisley, spaceport there. Um, and then I think swoop bikes were also added in in that same scene. So just the swoop bike itself, since that's all in Tatooine. No, that's funny. Uh, so I think I remember watching the beginning of uh, Empire Strikes Back. And I think that you had told me then, and it's one of those things that was probably just like a rumor that you heard from one of your Star Wars friends, you know. But it was like you could see Dash Rendar getting into a <laughs> an X-wing or a snowspeeder or something there. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation on that, and people say that you know, obviously Lucasfilm didn't add anything there, but that's based on the video game. You know, you start off Shadows of the Empire, the game is. Dash Rendar is a mercenary, and so he's hired to help out the rebels there at that battle. And then he, you know, he winds up getting hired later on to protect Luke Skywalker while he goes on his journey to rebuild a new lightsaber and kind of continue his training on his own. Yeah. So I did see, uh, like I said, Star Wars stuff, and you mentioned mentioned uh, the Jurassic World stuff, and I was, man, I was fucking with all the Jurassic World and Park toys they had there, 
like, uh, they had the, uh, Indominus Rex or whatever, like a big-ass one there. And they had some, uh... Oh, the... Did they have the Target exclusive, the Brachiosaur from the first movie? No. They didn't, um... Oh, that thing's badass. That thing's huge, though. Yeah, this one was, um... I don't know, it's probably a foot tall. It wasn't anything too crazy, but it was like, you know, a big T-Rex that you could, or, you know, Indominus Rex, whatever the fuck it is. Some bullshit dinosaur yeah, that was created sweet. that we didn't need for the movie, but anyway, hey. Um, hey, it's better than Hybrids that was the original uh, Jurassic Park 4. Yeah, I know. So, there you go. It is, it's, it's, it is what it is, so, but they had, they had various different figures, and I think, I didn't look at it too closely, but they had a stylized blue like it looked almost like a plushie but it was still plastic you know it looked very cute oh okay so i was like no the camp cretaceous stuff all is very specifically labeled but i mean i imagine blue could probably appear in that series as well Well, i mean so i don't see. i didn't even look to see if any of this shit said jurassic world or jurassic park you know what i mean i mean i'm i know all of it said jurassic world just because that's their marketing now but you know what i mean i don't know it could have said that for all i know but i just didn't look that closely. Yeah. And I haven't really seen any of the Amber series in Walmarts or Targets. You know, everywhere I've seen those seems to be online or like specialty shops. Yeah. So we'll see how wide release that gets. Um, and then you picked up an action figure of someone who has a birthday today, Mr. Bruce Campbell himself. You picked up the NECA uh, Toon series version Toony of Tear. Ash. And is that Toony Tears? Which... Uh, which version of Ash is that from? Does it say like which movie it is? Um, it says Evil. It says Evil Dead on the package, but it's. Wait, let me get this clearly up close to me. So I'm curious. I thought he had the chainsaw hand, but I didn't know if that comes off or on. I know some. Okay, of the yeah, older... it does say Evil Dead Two: Dead by Dawn. Which I was like, yes, yeah, is definitely an Evil Dead Two model of him because he has the chainsaw arm and the the boomstick. So, yeah, and I didn't think they were doing anything from Army of Darkness. You know, it makes sense to do Evil Dead Two first, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's that's definitely one I want in that series. Been looking for that, so hopefully I'll be able to find that here in town soon. Um, well, I could tell you what uh, they did have some. They had two more of these there. If you want, I can pick one up for you, just so you don't have to search for it, but. Let me know. Eh, I don't know. I I do enjoy a good hunt. So yeah, these are probably going to be fairly but, uh, easy to find. So eventually, you know, once they're all there. Yeah, yeah, those are. Target's been pretty good about restocking those, and hell, even Walmart's been carrying those as well. So yeah, it's I saw been pretty easy to find most of them. So this is in the newer line, but I didn't see. They had one Freddy left over and a Pinhead from the other ones, which I already have, and. uh they had one Leatherface. Again, I already have that one. But they had The Nun, I think, from the movie The Nun. <laughs> that's part of the series, too. Yeah, and that's... Which I uh, haven't seen, and... So I obviously didn't pick it up or anything. But it, I do want the Beetlejuice one. I want a... the Reagan one from The Exorcist. <clears throat> and I would like to get the Chucky and Tiffany two-pack. Yeah, there's some good stuff there. So be on the lookout for those if you're into that line. Um, and then uh, Joel Schumacher passed away today. He was the director of many a film, including 
the film The Lost Boys, which we take our title of our podcast from. So, uh, you know, he's got a pretty varied history, different amount of work, you know. Yeah. I think he spent like the last 20 to 30 years of his life just basically having to apologize for the shit show that was Batman and Robin, but... You know, that was mostly Warner Brothers wanting to make toys, which is the whole reason that in his Batman movies, instead of using the same Batmobile from the Keaton universe, even though they're considered sequels, they made new Batmobiles because obviously that's more toys to sell. So you go from having that Batmobile from Batman Returns to the animated series, then to uh, the Schumacher film. So, And I quite enjoy uh, Batman Forever. There's definitely some moments in there that I, I do like. So it's definitely a fun one for me out of those ones. Well, yeah, out of Batman and Forever and Batman and Robin, Batman Forever is the clear winner for all of the reasons. But Batman and Robin's basically just a drinking game to me. Like, just start drinking every time you hear a pun and you'll be fucking trashed. Just don't be doing shots or anything and you'll kill yourself. And the crazy thing is, like, you look at that cast, you had Alicia Silverstone play Batgirl, Commissioner Gordon's daughter. You had Arnold Schwarzenegger in there, you had Uma Thurman, like, you're looking at this cast, and you're like, how could you make a bad movie out of this? Right. And they somehow managed to do that, but, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things, too, that I think there is just so much scrutiny from the studio over what they wanted to advertise and market that the first two Batman movies were, like, known to be so dark that that's why they shifted away, you know, and, and kind of went with a campier tone. Yeah, they, um... Which is very over the top, but it just didn't work out for the fourth one, so... Well, right. It's like... It's not unheard of for Batman to be campy, obviously. That's basically how Batman started. Especially when you're talking in terms of film and, you know, television. That 1966 Batman is very campy. Yeah, and even some of the attempts at Batman before that were kind of in that same tone, right? You know, how do you make it with limited technology to convey what you could draw and imagine that way so yeah. uh interesting stuff to see where they went but uh, i did see a uh i almost bought this too but i was like man i don't need to start a huge batman collection because <laughs> if i get one thing you know ah, this is the whole thing but i mean i do have a couple of the hot wheels of the dope dope shit but um they had a Batmobile from the 89 Batman that was an RC car at Target for 25 bucks. Oh, yeah, I saw that the other day, too. That looked pretty dope. Um, did you ever get a uh, matching Hot Wheels larger scale uh, Batmobile to go with your uh, your duck from the that the Penguin has? I did not. I, I know that they made one because that's larger scale. They're, they make one that's in scale with that, and you can still see them. I still find them regularly at my Walmart around town. I don't see them at Target, but Walmart usually I do has have them. the one that's smaller than that, as well as the, uh, you know, it's just the regular size. And then the 66 <clears throat> Adam West Batman as well. I have that Batmobile, so. Nice. Yeah, I've got one of those. I've got some of the, the regular-sized Hot Wheels that I got for the boys, so we occasionally put those on all the loop-de-loops and have some Batmobiles going. So, uh, speaking of die-cast cars, um, you found some of the um, Top Gun Maverick Matchbox series at the store. Yeah, I'm at, so, I might actually be picking those up tomorrow, because I'm planning to go to Walmart tomorrow, so. 
Yeah, so I was looking like I remember that giant aircraft carrier they used to make like when we were kids, yeah. and they're not making anything that big, but they do have a little air uh, aircraft carrier playset that's like twenty bucks. It's really cheap. Um, but the cool thing about that is it looks like it has a catapult to actually launch your jets off it. So, uh-huh. which is what a real aircraft carrier does because you're trying to accelerate a heavy airplane to be able to fly at a certain rate. So, yeah. kind of cool to see. Uh, a toy that actually kind of mimics something that has real life function. Yeah. And, um, so. you know, there's obviously a lot of these legacy type sequels coming out now and there's always remakes and sequels to stuff coming out. That's been a thing always. I think the reason it feels so like such a certain way these days is just because it's shit that we're actually nostalgic about now. So, you know, when we were kids, yeah, it when is. we were kids, there's, you know, there was a sequel to blues brothers that came out hint, hint, we're going to be talking about those Blues Brothers movies in a little while, but, you know, that was 18 years after the first movie. And, you know, I'm just saying, we're kind of getting that now, but but they're, they're, they obviously tend to do it better. Jurassic World is thought of as pretty decent, at least uh, from people I know. People like that movie. Um, yeah, it's it's an original story and it kind of gives you some of the stuff that you never got to see in the first one which kind of cracks me up because you look at all these memes on the internet like everyone's trying to compare Jurassic Park to coronavirus and saying oh something opened back up too early you're like Jurassic Park never opened you dumbasses right Jurassic Park was there because they were going to not be able to get insurance so the lawyer was there to try to help figure right. that out and see if the funding Haven't was, you watched was still going to be in place don't you know that that's why Hammond goes and gets those people yes <laughs> or read the book God forbid you'd read. Yeah, no, so that's kind of some funny stuff there. It's like, no, 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 no. Now, I definitely get that in um, Jurassic World that you could make that argument, yeah. but obviously, clearly, to me, that was one of the, the best things about that was that they just showed you what normal a normal park operation would look like, right, which, which kind of made it cool yeah. because you never got to see that in the first one. You're like, okay, here's this stuff going. You know, they're like, yeah, we don't have headlights, we don't have locking mechanisms on the vehicle doors. You know, you see all these things going on with it. And then I also see a lot of memes going on about, you know, people talking shit on Dennis Nedry. You know, and they said, well, there's a key line people forget in there. Nedry's people are offshore because they already boarded the boat to go back to the mainland. Mm-hmm. Right? And so in the book, you, you hear more about that just because obviously a story has more time to develop those non-central characters to the story in a movie you're going to basically streamline the process to keep the viewer engaged makes perfect sense um but it's just funny to see people take things so far out of context just to make a meme and yeah that's funny sometimes but at the same time it's like i don't blame people for the mistakes but i do ask that they pay do ask that they pay for them (laughs) okay dad (laughs) or thanks dad he says or something like that yeah thanks dad (laughs) So, um, I also got, Jurassic Park. I might do a video for this. I don't know what you think about that, but I might do a video kind of, uh, going over this Trendmasters Extreme Ghostbusters Ecto-1 that I just got in the mail today. Yeah, you should do that, but don't start an OnlyFans because no one wants to pay to see you naked. Well, they might want to see me play with an Ecto-1 naked. That is true. You could have a market for that. We should, uh, get a, uh, a poll going. Yeah. Hey, does this poll still work? I could slide down a pole naked. That sounds painful. Yeah, I'll put my balls in a ghost trap. Uh, or a sock. <laughs> Just pull a red hot chili peppers, you'll be fine. 
So, uh, anything else new in your world? I'm waiting on a few more things to arrive in my mail, but my purchases have slowed down. Speaking of purchases and things, I do have quite a bit of a collection of Ghostbuster shirts I'm going to be throwing up on the Ebays. I may throw them up online on Facebook or something beforehand. So if you're looking for anything there, uh, I have got quite a few mediums that I don't really wear anymore. So I'm going to have some of those available. That way they're not just sitting in a tub rotting in my basement when someone could be out there looking extremely fucking fashionable. So be on the lookout for that. But what else is new with you, Alec? What do you got coming up? What do you got coming in the mail? Coming in the mail. Coming all over my mailbox. I got today Weekend at Bernie's on VHS. Um, got a couple of their VHS. Exactly. This thing, the thing I like about being able to pick up a tape on eBay as opposed to just finding in the store, is you can kind of be more selective about the condition. If you find a copy, say, of Weekend at Bernie's at a thrift store, and you're like me, you're going to buy that shit, no matter what condition it's in. I think I spent four bucks on it shipped, but the thing looks a few years old, you know, but it doesn't look 20 years old. But it is an older tape, too. It's not like a reprint tape, so... It's, um... It's really cool. And I also got Twister in the mail today. Son-in-law and Encino Man. That's funny that you get uh, Encino Man. Um, I've got my copy of Twister came in the mail today, too, so I haven't cracked that open yet. I'm saving that for uh, an unboxing, and I'll do a few of those a little bit later on. I also got the uh, Extreme Ghostbusters, one of the VHS tapes they released for that. It has uh, Back in the Saddle Part 1 and 2 on it, so that's... The reason I picked that tape up, because those are some of the, my favorite episodes of that, for obvious fucking reasons, so. Sweet. So, speaking of extreme Ghostbusters, let's, uh, let's cut on over to episode by episode. We now return to the real Ghostbusters. Diane, 11.30 a.m., February 24th. Entering the town of Twin Peaks. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. So I didn't write the episode Excuse title me. of this down this week. There's a first. What's this one called? Um, well, did you? There's a, <laughs> uh, a punk band that I, I used to listen to it has the same episode title. That's, uh, that doesn't narrow it down very much. Okay, well, it's called The Unseen. Oh, there you go. So, hopefully you remember that yep. one. That makes sense, though. So, episode number 10 of Extreme Ghostbusters, The Unseen. So, it starts out like so many of these episodes do, where you see, uh, you know, the soft opening here. Um, guys in a either museum or a postal area, whatever it is. And he passes by a lady, and he goes down, and you see this box. It's labeled Moldova, and... You know, it kind of opens it, sees something, and the next thing you know, like, the dog starts barking that's with him, and then uh, basically, like, an eyeball monster kind of starts looking at him and then takes his eyes. Hell yeah. Um, pretty pretty interesting design on there. Um, yeah, I like the monster design. It, the ghost. Yeah, the top it of it was kind of silly. It uh, kind of looked like a representation of... Female genitalia to some degree on there. Pussy, like, you're just like okay, you, mean you don't pussy? have to. 
Yeah, it doesn't always have to look like a flappy monster, right? Like, come on, come on, people. <laughs> um, the lower half of the design, like with the opening mouth and the eyeballs in the mouth, was much was a much cooler part of the design of that ghost. Yeah. And then, like, the smoky elements around it were pretty neat. It was like a gaseous object. Yeah. I'd really like the animation of most of the ghosts in both of these shows. You know, the real Ghostbusters and Extreme Ghostbusters, so... I liked that one, though. It's pretty yeah, interesting, no, the, weird, and like the detail on it. Yeah, there's a bunch of teeth and horns and stuff, so it's, it's kind of interesting to see what it was. <clears throat> Excuse my voice cracking. I'm uh, reliving. Watching this show is making my body relive puberty, so. All right, Shaggy, so. And then, of course, after all that, you get to the classic butt rock intro. You know, everyone loves the butt rock cover of the Ghostbusters theme. It's like butt so, rock mixed with nu metal. It is. It's totally that 90s. It's like, well, something strange, and your butthole sucks. Extreme Ghostbusters, gonna kick you in the nuts. Pretty much. So then we get to the real opening, and then... We find the the crew's actually out on a call instead of just lounging around the firehouse like the last few episodes. I'm glad they mixed it up finally. And they're kind of out there, and then, of course, Eduardo's being Eduardo and is fucking complaining about the weight of the proton pack, so Kylie fucking gets on his case about it, and she's like, just fucking trade me then. And he actually does, so... yeah. Kind of like that, kind of getting that Bill Murray vibe you got from him on there, right? You know, talking about the pack weight. Exactly. So, they trade off their hilarity ensues. Eduardo almost dies by getting ran over by the train. Jumps out of the way at the last minute, but then loses Kylie's mini proton pack. So, luckily, she didn't give him the ghost trap. And they were able to catch the ghost. But that's kind of the premise for how the team gets split up in this episode. Yeah. It's um, one of those things that I, I was thinking about, because now that I'm collecting, I have about seven out of the 12 Trendmasters EGB figures, and uh, neither Kylie has a small proton pack. You would think that because Kylie has a small proton pack, they would have just given her regular figure that. But they either were too worried about small parts... Or they were, you know, just wanting to give her a fucking proton pack. Which is, I don't know, that that line's well, weird anyway, because, you know, obviously Roland and Egon have the two packs that aren't proton packs, whatever the fuck they are. They look like Stanley Clean, uh, you know, Stanley Steamer machines or some shit. And Yeah, and we only see their, we see their proton packs on that promo art, but we don't see that anywhere else. I think it's just that one promo piece I always see that on. Yeah, and, you know, they probably had that to go off of when they made the toys or something, you know? Well, yeah, I think what happened with this line, you know, like happens in many cases is, okay, you get, you know, you get basic character designs because they want to launch the toy line pretty in sync with the launch of the show, right? Because what good is it to do a show launch if you don't have any merchandising to go with it? So it's usually pretty right on par with with when those launch, right? Especially a big brand name like that. And so, uh, you know, I think they got a lot of the concept work designs there and did that and then totally missed it. Like, they didn't even bother with the Garrett figure. Like, putting a guy in a wheelchair is not fucking difficult for an action figure. It's so absurd that even, like, the one version they did was, like, a giant thing. It's like, 
put him in a regular chair. It doesn't need to be anything crazy over the top. I think that was one thing that was really missed for that show. Like the diversity they had on there and not actually having that figure out really probably just kind of screwed up the toy line there. But then again, you know, we only got one real long season out of the show and, you know, we did get a toy line, but it wasn't anything earth shattering, you know, yeah. had they done a couple more seasons of the show, we probably actually would have received a, a Garrett figure and maybe some more accurate figures of the other characters, right? You know, well, yeah, the figure designs are all kind of out of whack anyway. Like, none of their colors are right on their standard figures. But Eduardo's colors are closer to his... Eduardo and Kylie's colors on their outfits are closer on their deluxe action figures to their series. But Roland and, you know, Garrett, they wear essentially more classic-style uniforms. And Yeah, classic-style jumpsuits, but yeah. Roland's figure doesn't wear anything like that. Either one of them. So it's just kind of no, like, what the like, fuck? All right, whatever, dudes. Yeah, so that toy line, as unique as it is, is just kind of a sign of the times there. I think most of that was from promo art and got released early, right? You know, because the same promo art we see there, they also released the Carrot Nose version of Sam Hain that was never actually on the show. It was just in the concept art. Well, yeah, he, is, he doesn't have the Carrot got, Nose on the figure. Just in the intro, oh, he doesn't. it's even okay. weirder, you know. <laughs> just one of those things. Yeah. And and then even his character design on the real Ghostbusters episode changes from the first time you see him to the second time. Yeah. First appearance of him is way better, but... Absolutely. The second one's fun, but it's just... Uh, yeah. It's hard when you create a character that's that iconic and do some cool stuff with it, so... Um, but yeah, they switch their packs, Eduardo loses hers. Uh, he drops it in the, the garbage truck basically and the garbage truck drives away because he was hanging off of the you know the, yeah, the uh, train tracks or whatever because they I were like an elevated a little bridge that was the train tracks yeah which is weird because they don't really have that in New York so at least not the parts of New York that I'm familiar with anyway you know you're more subway stuff there that seemed more like Chicago basically with the elevated train right. and stuff like that I mean but, I would say at minimum that whatever. they were 106 miles from Chicago it was dark, and they're wearing sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, yeah, they, they split up, because Egon's like, what? You lost a fucking nuclear accelerator, basically? You're fucked. Go get that shit back. And, uh, and then he sends Garrett yeah. and Roland to go check out the, the fucking airport and shit. Yeah, so they go down there and figure that out, and then, of course, they do their detective work, like Batman, and figure out, hey, uh, you know, let's check this customs manifest list and see what was on there what came in so then they kind of figure that out while uh, on the other side of things kylie and eduardo are out there searching so they go to the trash uh trash dump and you see there that you know they talk to the manager there and he says okay this trash truck would have dumped about over here yeah so they go looking at it in, in that area and then those kids walk off with that which they wind up selling so you know they're always like two steps behind of of the packs yeah and then they finally catch up to some mobsters that have bought the pack off a homeless guy, and then they wind up stealing Eduardo's pack that Kylie's still wearing. So, yeah, that's all fucked up. And then to add, and then to add insult to injury, they wind up coming down and arresting uh, Garrett and Roland after those mobsters rob a bank using the proton packs. And they say, "Well, you're the only ones that have this stuff." And Garrett makes the quip like. Uh, and was that bank actually handicap accessible 
or wheelchair accessible is what he says, I think. And that's kind of a good point showing that they're innocent. And then at the same time, they get down and they get, you know, they call Egon and he's getting arrested at the same time. So kind of just divides the team up, right? So it's not your run of the mill, like, hey, everyone's all together all the time, always. And uh, I would like to point something out randomly that I'm just now thinking about. The fact that Egon has a ponytail in this show. Oh, yeah, it's totally, it's mid-90s, right? So everyone that was, like, uh, big and smart into, like, computer programming, like, was, like, huge on the ponytails in the early 90s and the mid-90s like that. So, yeah, it was, like, the thing. Like, that was how you could tell, like, you're in the computer sciences industry <laughs> was, like, your ponytail. And so they had to follow that with Egon. You're like, he goes from the, fuck that badass. Exactly. He had the coolest fucking pompadour in the world. Yes, a- and then he goes to a fucking ponytail. Right. May as well fucking give him pigtails. I think that would have been more respectable. Because I mean, yeah. at least it's not something everyone does. Egon looked like a modern hipster. He looked like he would be singing in a Smiths cover band. Because he had those like circular red framed glasses and his big ass pompadour. And then you look at this show and you're like, oh. Looks like he has fucking cancer or something. But. Well, yeah, I mean, they're really just showing him as like the yeah. very depressing older dude. Besides the fact that he's extremely intelligent. I just figured I'd so point like, that ponytail thing out because it's like I'm so I've been so familiar with this show since I was a kid that it never struck me as weird till I actually sat and thought about it. Like, how do you go from the pompadour? Why didn't you bring that fucking hair back? <laughs> but oh yeah, between Peter's hair and Egon's hair and the real Ghostbusters, like holy shit, that's some badass stuff. And then yeah, the, a ponytail. You're like, well, that's tired and uninspired. But at least so. Eduardo's got some hair going and. Kylie's hair is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So so they wind up getting split up there, and uh, the rest of the group's in jail, and so then Eduardo and Kylie like put on disguises real quick, and they're like, yeah, we can't get your bail because we bought disguises. So then they go down and try to hunt this ghost down and figure out what's going on with it because there's a, a gala opening for this orb, the Orb of Moldova, and... Which one of the guys putting the show on, like, basically gets his eyes taken, and then, you know, they cancel the thing, like, last second. They show, like, a crowd getting ready to go in there, so just averting disaster enough. Yeah. So, um, let me see here. Well, then you get into the inside of it, right, and Eduardo accidentally looks at the thing and he's like how am i supposed to know i don't know what i'm looking for oh, yeah right yeah. and so he's hiding and running from this demon while kylie is like got her eyes closed like walking around on the floor looking for the thing so she's able to grab the orb and get the ghost and i'm not sure how that works right it's just kind of like how the, you know they always tend to wrap things up really quick on the yeah. show it's kind of funny because you know, she's closing her eyes and she's looking around on the ground for it. And she's like, what What does it look like? What does the orb look like? And he's like, uh, it's round. Like an eyeball. Yeah. And I'm like, you couldn't think of any fucking better way to describe it, Eduardo? It's kind of funny. Because it's a fucking yeah, it's orb. Like orb a... means that already. Yeah, it's a large metal orb. About the size of a basketball or a soccer, you know, like something yeah. like, right? Yeah, they were really lacking descriptive 
uh, words there. So interesting stuff to see how that all played out. But uh, anyway, so the then people with she winds up. I was gonna say the people without the eyes, though. That is a pretty freaky concept. This episode has like the monster stealing people's eyes and shit. And yes. um, if you ever saw the Mummy, the 1999 Brendan Fraser vehicle. <laughs> Uh, you will know that the mummy, you know, he comes alive. And I don't know if he does this in the original mummy. I think he does, where he kind of, like, steals parts from other people's bodies and absorbs it into his own, you know? But he fucking totally takes one guy's eyes, and then he ends up, like, fucking just taking his tongue and all sorts of shit from him, and it's all fucked up. Like, can you imagine if somebody just fucking took your eyes and your tongue and shit? Yeah, that's that's kind of wild. So, but um, you know, I haven't seen that. I'd have to, I'd have to revisit. So you get back into it, and yeah, you're imagining that, right? So then, um, Kylie kind of solves this thing, and like everyone's eyes get restored. You know, as they kind of play. The farther we get along into the series, like you realize, like they have like the same theme music kind of played in there periodically, right? So like they're kind of big epic wind down of the episode where they kind of typically play something yeah you kind of have that that music start going which didn't perfectly fit on this one right because it was like still in the build-up stage of like you're expecting a monster battle more than like the eyes being restored so yeah um and then like the demon's still there and they don't have any gear really so uh they just wind up, you know, Eduardo just winds up smashing the orb and it breaks and then the ghost kind of dissolves kind of off into its own. And then you wind up seeing them go back to the police department and they're saying, ah, sorry, we arrested you guys, you know, but you're the only ones that we knew that had that. But we did find the actual bank robbers. So, and then Eduardo's talking shit, acting like he's all big and bad and, you know, spins the proton gun around and winds up blasting a, a fluorescent light socket up in the... uh police station and they all kind of give him that look like they hate him and of course he immediately blames it on on kylie and so like you still see their ongoing relationship being developed there right like that flirtation that they kind of have there where they like hate each other but they get along with each other and um you know earlier in the episode like he puts all the blame on kylie and then he takes the blame when he loses his pack yeah when she loses his pack. So it's kind of like, oh, why'd you cover for me? So they kind of do that, and she even says, oh, he's not that bad once you scratch the surface or something. So kind of slowly developing that, right? I think that they weren't in a rush on this show for some stuff, which is kind of nice. Yeah. You know, just to kind of have, like, some subtle things going on in the episodes if you're paying attention. Yeah, overall, this isn't one of the top episodes, but it has some cool moments, has some cool ideas. The idea of other, like, you know, fucking civilians running around stealing proton packs and shit. That's pretty interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I think that I mean that would even be an interesting concept in a movie at, at some level, right? Of people taking that and like, what's what's the repercussions of someone getting their hands on that that shouldn't? Right. So I did appreciate that that they you know they weren't just doing the same old song and dance on there. But yeah, like you said, it's not. Not one of the top ten episodes by any means, but it's definitely not just complete crap filler, right? There's some fun stuff going on in the story there. They find a good way to break up the team. They have some good dialogue in there, and so it's a it's a decent episode. It's kind of fun. It's got its moments. Yep, I like this show. So, 
Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the Diet Frozen Yogurt Bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. That's a very serious book, man. You remember the Fantastic Four? Well, yeah, with that uh, invisible bitch and uh, fame on his Come on, you fuckers think that just because a guy reads comics, he can't start some shit? I'll fucking take all you want! So, we are continuing on with the reign of the Frog Brothers. Reign of Frogs. Epic. Reign of Frogs. We are on uh, issue number two of four. And the more I read these, the more that you really realize they're going hand in hand with what's going on in the uh, sequels that came out around the same time. 2008 is when this one came out. So it was August 2008 for ep- or issue two. Yeah. Um, this I feel like this one kind of answers questions that people who may have just seen the movies or at least people who are watching the second or third movie being like, all right, well, where's this? Who's this? What happened to this person? this kind of answers a lot of those questions so yeah it's it's not necessarily amazing like like i said the art just seems like it's kind of generic right you don't have the licensing to do great versions of these characters like when sam appears in this issue i didn't even fucking realize it was sam at first because he looks so much like the kid that edgar is telling the story to oh yeah and then this issue is kind of funny because it picks up immediately in 1990 where he's telling this story to this kid. And so basically you see that this comic book shop, they get back from DC and then they see that the comic book shop, something's, something's not right in there. And they go in there and they see like they're, I don't know if they imply their parents are dead. They just kind of like show one scene of them looking like haggard. Yeah. You know, you can't tell if they're dead or if they're supposed to be vampires themselves, but it doesn't really address that in this issue. Yeah. They're either dead or undead. So, Yep, and then they're kind of getting their ass handed to him after uh, David returns. And you're like, okay, David returns. And so, like you said earlier, you know, David uh, was the only vampire at the end of the movie that didn't fucking dissolve or blow up or just get completely destroyed. So the fact <laughs> that he comes back, you're like, okay, that one makes sense. No two vampires go the same way. No two vampires go the same way. Yeah, so uh, you find out that David's looking for Star. Yeah. And he asks about that, and then as they're getting their ass handed to him, Sam Sam comes in and uh, with a bow and arrow and whoops some ass, kills off some uh, uh, David's thugs. Yeah, what you were saying is... Takes care of business. I didn't realize he was Sam until somebody called him Emerson. I was like, oh, that's supposed to be Sam. Yeah. <laughs> I get it now. Because I thought that was that kid, too, that you were saying from the first issue. He looked enough like that that it was just generic. Like, the art's good and stuff, and there's some parts of it that I really like. But like you said, it's just kind of like the faces don't line up. Edgar's hair kind of looks like yeah, shit. <laughs> they just look like generic people in there, like, which isn't terrible. But I just wish they would have at least done some of the basic traits, whether that's costumes, at least a headband on them all the time. Like, right? Yeah. Make it distinguishable so we could see it. And then some of the smaller panels seem kind of rushed. So, I mean, I got the I got the vibe. This is kind of like an independent comic kind of put out in a hurry to go along with the, with the movie releases. Yeah. So I'd almost need to do more research and kind of see if there's any additional information on it from then. I did like uh, that Ned Nuke was in there. And then uh, yeah, one of my favorite Nuke panels in there out. was just seeing the... 
smashing garlic with a hammer in there. It's a reference to the obviously movie when they smash. Yep, up all and the that's a uh, jumps back to two thousand seven, right? And you realize like, oh, okay, so here's Edgar in his surf shop shaping boards, telling the story to this kid, and he's like, "You want some frog juice?" And if you see in the movie. Um, the second movie, The Lost Boys, The Tribe, you see Edgar, like, drinking his frog juice, which is basically, like, garlic and egg and a couple other things in there. Like, it looks just disgusting to watch. Yeah. You know, because he drinks the raw egg. He's like, calls it his frog juice, and you're like, Bleh. Yeah, but... Uh... So then they immediately jump back there. Like, I don't even know why they bother telling you, like, hey, it's 1990, and then it's 2007, then it jumps right back in the story before you even realize they... He goes back into him telling the story there. So. Yeah. And they're back at Grandpa's house, which they have like a certain name for it, right? Um, so they're at Sam's Grandpa's house. And they kind of start going through, trying to figure out who this head vampire is. And they realize like all the antlers are gone out of his taxidermy room. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're starting to question. He's like, no, my, my, you know, my, my grandfather's not a, not a vampire, not a blood sucker or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, well, he goes out in the day sometimes after he says he only goes out at night. And then they have a pretty awesome reference to the the first movie where, you know, he says old fart on it where he's got his shelf like with a piece of cardboard covering his shelf on there. That's where I keep my root beer in my double thick Oreos. Yeah. (laughs) And so they're making a joke about that. And they're like, well, these expired in 1984. So they're saying like it's six-year-old cookies sitting in the fridge. And then they crack open some of the root beer bottles and say, that smells like blood, right? Huh. And, of course, Sam's in denial on it, and you're like, are they really going to go this way? Because this seems, like, obnoxiously fucking obvious. And, yeah, they do. Yeah. So then at the end, like, you know, Grandpa pulls back up. He's like, tell him you're not a vampire. He's like, I would, but I'd be lying. And then, to be continued. Yeah. So So the thing about the vampire, uh, the Grandpa being a vampire, is, like, I wouldn't be terribly opposed to him having been turned into a vampire after the first movie but this is trying to retcon and tell me that he was a vampire the whole fucking time what yeah that's a little dumb yeah i'm so so far i'm not super impressed with these right um yeah i mean i don't hate them you always want no you don't hate them but you always want you always want good stories right if you're going to take the time to continue a story that's been well done before or is iconic. You want someone to like be invested in it. Right. And it doesn't feel like the people that did this were like huge fans. Yeah. And sometimes huge fans aren't always the best, right? It's people, you need someone that knows the lore, but isn't obsessed. So they can tell a good story without like going down the most obvious pass. Right. And like this one seems like, okay, as soon as they started saying that and like, yeah, it's, Oh, it's root beer smells like blood. You're like, okay. And then, like, David seemed, like, underutilized here. So, like, we've only got two more issues to go. So, I'm like, I don't really know what we're going to get out of this besides probably that we learn just enough about how uh, Alan gets turned into a vampire or a half-vampire, which picks up in the third Lost Boys movie. So, yeah. And they kind of make reference at in in the second second movie, the, The Tribe. So... Interesting stuff there. It's not like ground shaking or earth shattering by any means, but uh, it's it's kind of a fun read. Yeah, I definitely wish I would have read these when the movies were coming out. Um, I think that would have been a lot more fun and like kind of had some hype then. But 
oh well, it's kind of interesting to see now and go back. Yeah. Um, if you like Lost Boys, they're probably worth reading if you're a huge fan. But if you're like just a casual fan or you think it's okay, you probably don't read them. <laughs> but I will say, with Schumacher passing a day, now is the perfect time to go revisit the series. Yes. Definitely check out the first one again. If you want to see more about it, read the books and check out the other movies. I might. In my opinion, you can pretty much skip the second movie. Yes. If you wanted to, there's a few scenes on there. Just look up the scenes that have the Frog Brothers in it. True. Um, And and look up the scene that's got Corey Haim in it, basically. And that's all you're going to need out of those. Out of the second one, anyway. But the third one is, like, not the derivative, like, beat-by-beat sequel. It's the, hey, we're going to do something different with the characters you know. And to me, that's, that's the proper way to make a sequel. For sure. So, um... I uh, did write something else down here that doesn't have to do with the comics, but I wanted to mention it, and I forgot to mention it at the beginning, so I'm going to mention it now, because this is my podcast, and I'll fucking do what I want to. I'm the chief of police, so I can do anything. Uh, um, Shit, you're a chief of police? When did that happen? I'm just quoting Jaws for you. Um, hey, speaking of which, that has the same uh, birthday as something else we'll be talking about. Hell yeah, it does. I was watching ALF last night, and uh, there's an episode in season four, I believe it's episode four, where uh, a few weeks ago, if you check out the Frog Brothers podcast Instagram, there's a little clip of me watching ALF on there, and, you know, Willie says something along the lines of, uh, you know, money, it can make people lose sight of what's important and lose their values. And Alf just looks at him as like, oh, that explains Ghostbusters too. You know, it's kind of just a funny little jab at that. And uh, so I was rewatching that episode last night. It's the one where Alf is new in stocks. And uh, in the picture, I noticed, oh, there's a high C sitting in front of him. Wouldn't that be funny if it was a high C ecto cooler? Wait a second. I think that is a high C ecto cooler. I was never really young enough to drink the originals. Um, at least don't think I was, so, I mean, they might have been out when I was a baby and shit, but, you know, I don't remember the actual design of those in pictures I've seen. I looked up a picture, and I'm like, no, that shit, that's the ecto-cooler. You couldn't, it wasn't, it was a little fuzzy and hard to make out, but it was ecto-cooler, and then I looked it up and confirmed it on other people had noticed, too, and you could tell that's what it was, so yeah, that's pretty funny. Actually, you had a pretty clear screen grab you sent over to me, because I, I woke up to that this morning. Because you're obviously up on your own schedule here and shit. And so I get up early for work. And so I get up and I'm like, huh, no shit. You said that's also the same episode he references Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. So and that's about right in the timeline there for that series. So that's that always awesome when all the pop culture shit we love like crosses over and has like references to each other. Yeah, that scene would have been probably... Uh, that season four of ALF, I think, aired in 1989 and 1990, so... I mean, Ghostbusters 2 is referenced, obviously, so it has to be after the release of that in June of 1980, or 89, so. Yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah. Pretty cool, though. And that's that's actually funny. I also posted a, uh, went over to the, uh, yes, have some group therapy and posted a picture of one of the guys from the episodes on the disc that looked like Craig to me. (laughs) 
And she, oh yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> it looked like as soon as I saw that guy, I was like, holy shit, it's Craig. <laughs> He's obviously balding more than you know. He has less hair than Craig, but still funny. Uh, yeah, for sure. So this week we have a happy anniversary, and there's a few ways we could have gone for it, but we spoke about this one a little while ago, and we've been planning on it for a minute. So despite Jaws turning 45, 45 is not really a super exciting birthday for most people. Well, we're going to talk about Jaws, you know, with our 4th of July episode. And so, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's the original summer blockbuster movie, but this one, this one turned 40. Yep. And a 40 uh, anniversary, you know, that kind of midlife crisis, the uh, over the hill. For sure. All that bullshit you can say to make fun of people and call them elderly and decrepit and make all these ageist jokes that boomers don't like nowadays. <laughs> um, you know, so, okay, boomer. Any of that kind of shit. So, as you get into the okay boomer stage now, the 40 and up crowd, no, I'm just kidding. I would say it's a little older than that. I still know people in their 40s that are fucking cool and uh, aren't fucking out of touch with society, so that's a good thing. <laughs> yes. But, uh... The Blues Brothers were on a mission from God. Uncle Dan Aykroyd. Uncle Dan at it his finest. John Belushi. Fucking amazing. This movie, I love this movie. Yes. There's so many things about this movie. The original Blues Brothers turns 40. So uh, we're going to get in there, man. Like, just tell me your initial thoughts. Do you remember the first time you saw Blues Brothers? Or what's uh, See, what's your first memory of Blues Brothers come back to you? To you? This, this, what I'm about to say makes me want to punch myself in my own face, but I, I don't remember watching Blues Brothers until I was like 15. That doesn't mean I didn't watch it. It just means that I saw Blues Brothers 2000 before I saw Blues Brothers, which is a travesty, but that's life. So I had more memories of Blues Brothers 2000 as a kid. We'll get into that later, but... Blues Brothers, I watched for the first time, at least coherently, knowing what I was watching and everything, when I was 15 or 16. And, uh, yeah, I dug the shit out of it. That was when I was so going through, like, a... After you moved down to... After you moved to Memphis, probably, then? Yeah. Okay. Um, so... Shit, that probably been about the time I bought that on DVD, then. Dan Aykroyd and, uh... John Landis wrote this, and John Landis also yes. directed it. Uh, John Landis is a very famous film director. If you don't know, you should uh, search him up. But I believe he directed um, Kentucky Fried Movie. That was one of his first ones. He did a lot of comedies. Um, fuck, I'm drawing a blank right now for some reason. Did he do Animal House? Uh, yes, he was involved with Animal House. I believe he directed that. I was about to say, I know Ivan Reitman was involved in Animal House, but he didn't direct it, so. Ivan Reitman was a producer, and uh, Harold Ramis helped write as well on that, so. Yeah. Oh, 
Which, and they thought Harold Ramis, they originally talked about being in that movie, but they said he was, I think they said he was too old to be the characters there, which, I mean, uh, even Belushi looks old for for that when you rewatch it, but I guess they are college students, so it's hard to say. So, um, Doug Kenny. Do you know who Doug Kenny is? If I tell you the name anyway. Uh, yeah, it's familiar. I've told you about so him before, he but he, um, you know, he was one of the creators of the National Lampoon magazine, and okay. he helped write Animal House, Caddyshack, and he's, you know, has some cameos in those, but I, I couldn't confirm this on the internet. I tried to. I googled it. I looked it up. Couldn't find anything on it, but I'm almost 100% sure that Doug Kenny played one of the Nazis just as an extra. No lines. Oh, very well could have, right? People like that often do some of those things, and they're not really... Right, and he would have been obviously very connected to John Landis since he'd wrote, he directed movies that he wrote. So it makes perfect sense that he would be in there. So I'm almost 100% yeah, sure that it's there. him, but I just couldn't find anything on the internet to confirm it, so take it with a grain of salt. So, but Doug Kenny's in this movie. <laughs> so this is another prime example of... Uncle Dan being off the rocker, right? Because the original script for Blues Brothers was like way over the fucking top ridiculous. And Landis came in and got the co-writing credit after he did basically rewrites with Aykroyd. Yeah. This is a, that seems to be a trend with uh, Dan Aykroyd, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, all you need to do is watch nothing but trouble and you'll see like what happens when you let Dan Aykroyd do Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Unfiltered. Oh, uh, he's so fucking right. And Dan Aykroyd's a, Dan Aykroyd. a goddamn genius. As long as you got somebody out there to slap his hand every now and then and say no. As long as he, yeah, as long as he had someone to balance him out, man, he's like a fucking teeter totter, right? <laughs> if you put Dan Aykroyd with another person that could balance his energy, like almost in the opposite direction, you could fucking do some creative genius. Yeah. And yet, if you let him go unhinged. Yeah, it's it's pretty special. Pretty special. So there's um there's a lot so the of first... interesting cameos in this. One of the first ones I wrote down is in the prison. And I don't think it's someone that you would recognize unless you know what Frank the... Oz? Yes. Unless you know what Frank Oz looks like. I recognized him. But Yeah. Frank Oz has done a lot of bit roles and stuff, and he used to do a fair amount of acting just besides being known for the Jim Henson crew, right? Well, exactly. He um... he did a lot of directing too. Yes. He um, directed one of my favorite black comedy films. Uh, it's a, pretty sure it's a British film. Most of the actors are British, and it takes place in England, I think. But it's um, Death uh, at a Funeral. He directed that. Oh, okay. It's a really good movie about yep. a funeral. But anyway. Paul Rubens also makes an appearance. Yep. He is the waiter at the restaurant. Um, yeah, and then the musical cast, man, the the musical guests that they have uh, sprinkled out the movie is pretty much amazing. Oh, yeah. And then, so, I will tell you the f couple of things I remember about this movie. Like, I remember seeing this movie as a kid because our dad really liked it. Yeah. Um, and, he, you know, anytime it was on TV, I remember, like, watching part of it, right? And so, it's, like, just absurd. There's some music in there, so it's kind of fun. It's, when you really think about this movie... It's so unique in that there's nothing else quite like it. 
because if you take out some of the musical numbers, right? It, like, is it a musical? Yes. Is it an action movie? Yes. Is it a comedy? Yes. It like fall. It, it's like you can't define it as like one genre, right? Because there's so much going on in it. Yeah. Like if you like the Fast and Furious movies, you need to thank Dan Aykroyd because the shit that they did with the car stunts in this movie alone are fucking amazing. Yeah. Like, and that's half of this movie is just cool car stunts, right? And you're like, oh, how do we do this? Oh, it's time for a cool car stunt. Yeah. And the number of police cars they wrecked in the finale of this movie and everything else, man. Oh, I just, I just love it. Yeah, same. So. That's uh, one of my favorite parts is all the fucking car chase scenes. The mall and the. Going through that Toys R Us and tearing that mall apart, and then how the cops are sitting there and everyone's in there just noticing things like Pier One Imports. Yeah, exactly. They're just you know, commenting they're just like, like they're walking through the mall. Exactly. Yeah, like that. Con- it just felt so natural, like a conversation you'd have if you're in there. Yeah. And then seeing like that Toys R Us with like that vintage light just reminds me of being a kid in the '80s, like going in there and seeing like Toys R Us and kind of seeing those lights and those old displays. So yeah, very nostalgic watching that scene. Um. And just seeing that, but it's a lot of fun. So this movie, and one of the interactions early on in the movie, I love how uh, uh, Jake is fucking sassing Elwood over. You know, he's like, "So let me let me get this straight. You you sold the Cadillac," and he's like, "Yeah, for what?" And he's like, "For a microphone." I could understand that, uh, yeah. but then he kind of gets pissed. He's talking about the old like, Cadillac, whatever. He's like, "You traded this." The Cadillac for this? No. <laughs> for what? For a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can see well, that. I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because, like, anyone, you know, there's a lot, a lot of musicians that run in our circle, right? So we've all wheeled and dealed and bargained and shit for deals on music equipment to try to save some money. So it's like, yeah, we've, we've all probably been there. Probably nothing fucking as drastic as a car for a microphone, but... <laughs> There's some fucking top dollar microphones out there that would probably be a damn fine trade. Oh, yeah. So so this movie had a, uh, built into its budget a uh, section of budgeting for cocaine. And I can't remember where I heard this, but it was Dan Aykroyd himself who said it. But he was talking yeah, about so how they Dan- had cocaine built into the budget of the movie so that the movie would buy all their cocaine... And I don't know. I feel like you can kind of see uh, see the cocaine in them and some of their performances when they're really moving about and shit. You know? Oh, absolutely right. So it was known that like this movie went way over budget for a number of reasons, but just because how fucking hard they were partying like on set and after and after hours when they're making this. Yeah. Um, which sucks because you know ultimately that kind of bullshit led to the downfall uh, of John Belushi. So. We really fucking missed out on like what could have been an amazing career, but at the same time, right? You know, this when you live that kind of lifestyle, you're burning the candle at both ends, and you know, I think we're lucky for some of the some of the stuff we did get. So. I'm pretty sure he died of. I've heard Dan Aykroyd say he died of a speedball, which is cocaine and heroin mixed like together. So, yeah, it's it's shit's fucked up. Um, I don't know where I watched it, but it was something that Dan Aykroyd is telling the story about this movie, too, where he uh, he said, one night, you know, we're making Blues Brothers, and uh, John, we couldn't find John, and uh, apparently he had, uh, like, they were filming in a neighborhood, 
Oh, is this the story where he walks in and like just fucking he goes to somebody's house so and somebody, like they find him hours yeah, later? Yeah, no, 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 no. Somebody walks out into his kitchen or like into his living room and fucking John Belushi's passed out on his couch or like fucking just drunk out of his ass eating in his kitchen. I can't remember what it is. And he's like, holy shit, this is awesome. And the guy thought it was the coolest fucking thing ever, which is just lucky for John Belushi. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty wild there, right? You know, so I mean, at the time though, too, people weren't thinking as much of it, and probably new film production was going on anyway, so they probably weren't even that startled by the fact that that you know that was going on. Well, I so, just mean like it I was. Mean, if, you got to realize if you're in the middle, if you're just in the middle of the night, you hear somebody breaking into your kitchen. Like it wasn't anybody on the set or anything. It was just somebody who lived in that fucking neighborhood. You know. Yeah. It's a little weird and could have been dangerous and a fucked up situation, but it's. Hilarious that it turned out hilarious. Different times nowadays, for sure. Yeah. So, that first movie has just so many amazing moments in it. You know, like, all the car scene stuff in there. I love how they kind of have the subtlety of, like, when they introduce Carrie Fisher's character. Because mm-hmm. she doesn't really technically have a name in the story. The first time you see her there, like, she's reading weapons manuals. She's, like, reading something about, I think, mines or personal mines. And then... The flamethrower, she's got the manual too. She's reading, like, while she's working in her nail salon or something. She's, a, yeah, it's so, a, which is funny. It's a hair then, salon, and it's title, uh, the name of the hair salon is Curl Up and Die. But, like, curling your hair and dyeing your hair. <laughs> yeah. Which is fucking heroic. Yeah, it's a dope, dope, just little like, thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Little details. Yep, funny details at that. And so you see her doing that, and then, you know, when you see her come out with that rocket launcher and blow them up out of the. Uh, the phone booth and you know then they're like oh, I think there's probably seven dollars in change here yeah because they're desperate for money the movie starts getting more cartoonish as it goes on too like I'm by cartoonish I mean like old Warner Brothers cartoons you know like fucking Daffy Duck and like Road Warner Brothers yeah yeah uh, Warner Brothers style like everything's like absurd it pushes the boundaries like they're not afraid to do silly shit. <laughs> yeah. But not in like a hey, hey, funny way, but like more like a holy fuck, they just did that kind of a way. <laughs> but there is a kind of like moment where you're, um, it's when they're, uh, you know, they're driving through the construction. They're in the big climax and they're trying to escape from the Nazis. And they fucking almost drive off the edge of the highway thing. And then they back up. And then, like, the fucking next shot of his, is their car, like, f- doing a fucking backflip and shit out of nowhere with no explanation. And then it's, like, a whole bunch of weird oh, yeah. shots of cars flying through the air and shit. And you're like, what the fuck's happening? This is hilarious, though. Well, one of my, th- one of my favorite scenes in the car chase is, like, when they, when they cut down that hill and, like, all the other cop cars just come and roll down after him. Yeah, I love Dan Aykroyd's uh, uh, little, uh, not Dan Aykroyd. Fucking when John Candy, you know, they crash into the fucking semi truck trailer, and he's just like, he's uh, like "What car number is this? Yeah. <laughs> this is car fifty five. We're uh, stuck in a truck or whatever he says." Truck. <laughs> yeah, no, he's great in that, and uh, I just wish his character had more time in there too because yeah. he's so good. Like right when he shows up, like looking for Elwood at the at the uh, apartment there. It makes sense though, this because this is one of his earlier film roles. You know, like this in Vacation were some of his. You know, like, oh, that's the first time you're seeing this guy. Yes. So. 
But uh, yeah, I like seeing him so in there. It's always fun. So much awesome stuff in this movie. Like just the musical guests, the way they had all the musical guests in there is pretty heroic. Yeah. You know, and they kind of put them all in there, right? Like I said, it's it's just such a unique movie because like each time they find one of the members of the band, you kind of get like a musical number in there too, right? Yeah. So the movie is kind of long-winded when you think about it, but when you like break it down, it's like it's not because you like here's a get like a music number, you kind of get the band going, <clears throat> kind of move along with it, kind of go through everybody and kind of get to know the band members that way too and like where they're at. Yeah. Which I found really fun. <clears throat> yeah, that's um it's a great fucking movie. I'll just say that. I uh It's legendary. It's one of those movies that feels also like it was filmed and made kind of in that transitional era. Like, we have a lot of transitional eras, you know, every every time, like, kind of fads and movements and technology advances and changes. But, like, from, like, the 60s and 70s to the 80s and 90s, you know, you kind of have that transitional period, and I feel like this movie fits right in there. Because, it like, does. where it's, he's pulled it's over, perfect. and he's, in, you know, they're pulled over, and he's like, I think they got those computers in there that do whatever the fuck and you know that's standard now that's been standard since i've been alive so just seeing that in there you're like oh that's interesting yeah it's 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 great because it's some of the way the movie looks visually kind of has that real 70s movie vibe to it but the way the story and editing's done is definitely like got the 80s vibe to it right you're kind of right on that cusp of it being like a mix of the old and the new there, yeah. and you can kind of definitely see where it led things. Uh, that's what I think um, helped it out so well because it being in 1980, you, th- you you I, I if you watch this movie, you could say this is a movie from 1975 or 1983, even. You know what I mean? Yeah, you could probably fit into in either of those. It's got some range. areas. But there's a lot of stuff, too, in this movie that you don't think about, right? So this movie's, like, very anti-fascist um, when it comes down to it, right? The way they're just destroying all these cop cars um, and the way they portray people, right? You know, you portray the Nazi party in there and their dog and all that. Oh, them. hell yeah. And that was one of the best scenes, too. It's so they relevant now. The Nazis right off the bridge. It is. And then, so even other things in the movie, right, earlier on, right? So when you go down to the basement where Curtis lives. Yeah. He's got a picture of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. on the yeah, wall. Yeah, I noticed that. Like, I, down in his living space. I didn't take and a so note like, of it. You but... know, you can tell. Yeah, and so you can tell that he's, like, educating these guys on it, right? And right. I know at the time when this movie came out, everyone's like, oh, Dan Aykroyd's taken over, like, cultural appropriation on that. But I think Dan Aykroyd had such a love for this music, and it's like, it wasn't like he was doing it when this music was popular. Like, he picked up on it later on. Yeah. Same thing with Belushi, right? Belushi was known to be huge into punk rock and, like, just real ruckus music, because that's, you can just see in his personality that rock star style, but, like, yeah, they something did, um, about this clicked, because, like, all that stuff led to punk rock, right? You know, this You may or may not know, ability but to express he was part yourself. of uh, John Belushi. This is all in that movie about Doug Kenny. You need to watch it, especially now. Um, get your ass on Netflix and watch it, and we'll talk about it sometime. But uh, there's this whole thing about John Belushi in there, and uh, what did you just say about him? It's like a continuation of that. Uh, I was talking about him being in punk, into punk rock. Oh, that's right, that's he right. He um, See, he had lots of experience on stage with not just Saturday Night Live, but before Saturday Night Live was a thing, he was on... Um, 
National Lampoon's radio. And he did also National Lampoon's. They had a live show called Lemmings. Where they would yep. do like stand up and they would sing songs. So literally he's been performing in, you know, like live shows with huge ecstatic concerts doing shit like this since probably at least 1975, I want to say. 74 maybe. And, um, but that's the one of the only one of the weird things is here and there you can tell that, <laughs> you know, Dan Aykroyd's voice is dubbed over when he's singing here and there. Sometimes you can say, oh, that's Dan. But when Jake is singing, well, no, it's Jake. Well, no, a lot of Dan actually sang a lot of that, but just like you can tell, like his, um, I'm not saying he didn't sing all of it. Don't match up with his studio stuff. I'm saying there are clearly times when he did not fucking sing that, but there's times where you know, okay, this is clearly Dan Aykroyd, or there's times you know, there's probably a couple in there where you're like, I can't really quite tell. That could just be Dan Aykroyd sounding different because he's singing stuff, but. There's one or two times in there where you're like, oh, shit, that's not Dan Aykroyd at all. Which, that just happens in movies. Yeah, I but... got that vibe, but I don't I don't know, though, because they'd had Blues Brother albums before this movie came out, right? They'd, they'd been doing live gigs and shit before this movie, so... Yeah, but not... It's hard to say for it's, sure It's that. less of a real... Like, I know that if you look up Blues Brothers, it'll show up as a fucking band on Wikipedia and shit, but come on. It's clearly well, more yeah, of a look gimmick. At the musician list they have on there. But I mean, they did put out a decent record catalog. They're a lot, you know, mostly just covers, but they had good musicians, right? You know, like Donald Duck Dunn, like played bass with Eric Clapton, and like if you look at his discography, it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, well, I mean, you can clearly tell that are those are all musicians, musicians and not actors. <laughs> but those guys, you know, I think those guys did most of the singing on there. So I'm gonna uh, just disagree with the Dan Aykroyd bit. Um, well, John, look it up and find out. John Belushi, you—that's obviously him singing. It's—it's it's debatable with Dan, Dan Aykroyd. Aykroyd. Sounds Dan Dan Aykroyd sounds completely different when he's singing in his lower register than when he does in the upper register. But I'm so. saying there's. I wish we could literally throw up these songs right now, so I could be like, listen to this. If that's Dan Aykroyd, I'm a fucking monkey's uncle, you son of a bitch. But. Well, you don't even know. You don't even have the example of the song, so I can go back and compare. So when you do that, come back. Come back with your notes. No, I'm right until proven wrong on this one. I'm saying he sang some of them, uh, and probably there's some of where it's a mix. There's some songs, literally, where I'm like, okay, Dan Aykroyd's singing this part because it makes sense. Oh, well, he's not singing this part though. John Belushi well, is singing every fucking note. Vocals too. John Belushi sang everything. That's my point. Fuck Dan Aykroyd, he can't sing. John Belushi can sing. And he did it well. <laughs> you got all fucking angry and mad and like just wanted to be right, so you feel better? No. Well, why don't you go have four fried chickens and a Coke, and I'll get some dry white toast. You're the fat one, buddy. <laughs> you get the four chickens. I'll get the bread. I'll be the Uncle Dan. Uh, you are fucking weird, so no. <laughs> uh, so did you catch the precursor to Ghostbusters in there? Um, I caught several. So the Ray Charles line, when they're in his story, says, Who are you going to call, Jake? That's funny. Little things like that that become reoccurring themes later on. 
Oh, the other thing I thought was uh, uh, John Candy's character when they go in there, like, he's actually wanting to watch. He's like, I've never seen these boys sing. <laughs> so, you know, instead of arresting him at the beginning of the show, he's like, waits. You know, they all just sit down and watch. And he's like, uh, anybody want an orange whip? Uh, you want one? You want one? Uh, three orange whips. Yeah. Orders, orders mixed drinks for everybody while they're cops on duty, which is amazing. Yeah, total junk. And then I love how the total the thing is like, is you're getting this band back together at the same time you're also pissing all these people off. So I love how they go into that country bar and steal for the you know take over the show and both kinds of music, uh, you know, country and western. Yeah, both kinds. Well, we have both kinds, country and western. <laughs> The good old so, boys. Yeah, that was fun. They do some yeah, some of those performances in there and seeing all that stuff. Yep. I um I like Carrie Fisher in this movie too. I just like seeing her with yeah, guns she was and pretty shit. Good. So. And then the other funny thing, like you you may not have noticed is like so when uh Dan Aykroyd uh well when Elwood's gassing up the car to get back to town, like, you know, he's talking to that girl like, Oh, maybe I'll meet you around midnight. Yeah, and then of course, like you see her waiting outside that hotel for him. You're like, "Oh shit!" Hell yeah! <laughs> kind of in that last scene, and then they do the the jailhouse kind of rock scene at the end of the movie, which is fun. Yeah. Which I, I as soon as so, I was watching that scene, I was like, "Wait a minute! Is Airheads a Blues Brothers ripoff? <laughs> Clearly, heavily inspired by yeah. it. I wouldn't say a ripoff though." Yeah, I mean, you could almost say that there with the way that went down, and then also, like, the real-life Johnny Cash shit, like, performing in prisons and shit like that. You know, I think right. a lot of that's kind of heavily inspired from, from those from those moments in real life, so... Movies about criminal musicians are good. Yep. Usually. So. Except for Blues Brothers 2000. <laughs> if you haven't watched this, rewatch it, um, and then kind of kind of take note of it. There's some good stuff to be, like paying attention to to be culturally aware of going on right now and, and things like that so and fuck the nazis yep fucking nazis but the guy who played the head of the nazis was in uh biodome yes he's in a couple he's of a, things but he's been yeah he's been in a lot of stuff yeah he's a very prolific actor but i don't know i think he's dead now well he's not exactly a young pup so well i mean he was like probably at least fucking I mean, the youngest he was would would be like 45, you know, in Blues Brothers. And even then, I would say he was probably like 55. Or maybe... Yeah, that's... Yeah. You know what I mean? So he looked a little older than that, yeah. So, now that we've kind of wrapped up on Blues Brothers, do a quick segment here. So, you know, we talked a little bit about how you got into Blues Brothers or your first experience of that. So, I saw that with Dad, and then, you know, our dad has like a real fucking eclectic taste in music. I mean, some of the shit he would play, like, one song to the next would blow your fucking mind. But I remember he loved the song Rubber Biscuit. Still does, probably, but... <laughs> uh, hard to say, but he'd always play that song and, like, he got a fucking kick out of it just when the Rubber Biscuit song would come on. So, like, that's, like, the first Blues Brothers song I remember hearing a lot and, like, knowing kind of the words, too. So... Nice. And then... We got to hit up Uncle Dan's Planet Hollywood when we went to... uh Florida went to Disney World back in uh, fucking sometime in the nineties. Yeah, whenever, uh, whenever all that was going on, I remember I got a shake in there, which fucking cracks me up now because 
like you know we're just ordering our own food right and we're at planet hollywood and they didn't have like a lot of great options i I wasn't terribly impressed with the menu being a picky eater at the time and i ordered a shake and it was like a five dollar milkshake so mm-hmm. i always just like remember like how pissed they were like well you have to get something cheap off there so i got some sort of like flatbread pizza off the appetizer menu you know so like my meal wasn't super expensive five dollar milkshake still was anyway they don't put no bourbon in there yeah. or nothing yeah, and there's no <laughs> alcohol in there, you know. So I mean, and then when I saw Pulp Fiction and that, I was yeah. like, God damn, that's so fucking relatable to me because <laughs> I got yelled at for ordering a five dollar milkshake before, right? <laughs> and now you can't get a milkshake for under five dollars. So that's funny because uh, Disney World inflation. totally had that restaurant that was uh, <clears throat> in cars, kind of like how Jackrabbit Slim's was, you know. Oh yeah, the yeah, you ate in the the back of the old classic cars that were cut out in there yeah yeah i remember eating there i would like to eat there so, again just a quote pulp fiction to till i annoyed my waitress or waiter yeah exactly and i love love that it's so so well done and then the other time uh so our grandma used to live down in baton rouge so we'd go to baton rouge and then like road trip down to new orleans and so we're down in new orleans once and uh went to the house of blues down in new orleans right we didn't go to go to a show or whatever but yeah went in there and like ate at the house of the blues restaurant and you know then they obviously had their gift shop right so uh you know i still actually have some blues brothers um like one inch button pins or maybe they're one and a half minute they're even the bigger i think they're the bigger ones so like one and a half inch button pins yeah that say blues brothers on there from visiting and then our dad got some, like, Blues Brothers bowling shirt that was, like, stupid expensive for the time. And he's like, oh, yeah, you, you can wear it. And then, like, I think I wore it once to school. And then, like, he accused me of getting it dirty. He's like, this thing's dry clean only. And, like, fucking lost his shit about it, so I never wore it again. So Wow. Like, should have got me a fucking T-shirt, but, you know, whatever. Right. Hey, but I, I do have a Blues Brothers shirt now. It's the uh, Dapper Dan Shoning version of the interdimensional cross-rip guys as the Blues Brothers. So, you know. That's cool. Live and learn. So, yeah, the real-life Blues Brothers stuff and, like, going down in there, the House of Blues is pretty cool in New Orleans. Like, that's a yeah, I, pretty cool spot to be. But at the same time, like, you're... That's the interesting thing, like, right, with, like, the Hard Rock Cafe and all that shit. Like, it's so touristy in, like, all these big cities. So, like, to put a big corporate establishment, like, down in, like, such a classic area that, you know, should all be independently owned and operated is kind of interesting, so. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess for, like, a consistent live venue, live music venue that can hold bigger shows, I guess that makes sense, so. Yeah, I ate at the one in Orlando. having the restaurants on there. Yeah. Oh. Did the, uh, is there one in Orlando? Mm Mm-hmm. Did the Planet Hollywood change to a House of Blues down there? No. I don't think so. Because, I mean, (laughs) those Planet Hollywood buildings were fucking dumb. They're cool when you're a kid, but, like, logically thinking, they're fucking dumb. (laughs) Yeah, the only thing halfway entertaining is all the movie memorabilia in there, and at the same time, you're like, why is all this in a fucking restaurant? Yeah. Like, this should be somewhere that's more accessible. Like, Like my house. You never could get, like, amazing... Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like, how about we just close this place down and move it? Or how about I just move in here? (laughs) Exactly. I remember, yeah, they had all sorts of crazy shit. Like, you could look above you and you'd see a car just, like, hanging above you and shit from some movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And some of that stuff's cool when you can see, like, you can easily see it and have access to it. But some of the, the Planet Hollywood seemed like, you know, they had stuff in funny spots. So you couldn't, like, get up to it without getting by someone's table, like, where they're eating at. And so it was like, uh. Right. You know, like, make that make that so you can, like, see everything there and not, not actually be an intrusive asshole while you're doing it. But, you know, they're not. Didn't really make it, so. Yep. What do you say? So. We talked Blues Brothers, but in 1998, Blues Brothers 2000 came out. So, this movie is so bad. 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 It's still pretty fucking awful. So, the year is 1998. We find out Blues Brothers 2000's coming out. Like, our dad was excited about it, so I was kind of excited about it. And I'm like, okay, it gave me hope because I was also thinking, hey, you know, like, he's if he's doing a sequel to Blues Brothers now, then they could do Ghostbusters 3. Yeah. You know, and I had been, by that point in time, I'd been following, you know, stuff on the internet, like Proton Charging and Ghostbusters HQ and, like, reading up on all that stuff and reading about everything in the 90s, you know, then. So, being an early adopter of the internet... Back in the AOL days, like a pro, <laughs> hearing about that and then, you know, being able to see that movie. And I got to tell you, man, hot take here. I'm, I'm, I'm glad Dan Aykroyd didn't get to make Ghostbusters 3 in the 90s. <laughs> uh, because well. of how bad he fucked up Blues Brothers 2000. Yeah. Because... I mean, that's a hot Harold take. Ramis probably could have helped him out a little bit, but from what I gathered is a lot of those scripts that were circulating in the 90s were all just written by him. I don't think they ever got to the stage of, like, getting a rewrite or a second revision or anything with, like, Harold Ramis in there. I was about to say, if you got Harold Ramis and Ivan Reitman to help him out, maybe it could have been okay. <laughs> but Maybe, but even on this movie, right? He had Landis come back to direct. He had Landis come back to co-write. And it's just so fucking cheesy. Uh, there's Yeah, there's some it's real like shit in here that pissed me off even. Oh, yeah, there's there's definitely some moments in there that I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? It's like Uncle Dan, like, unscripted 2.0. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. It feels and, like him just, like, if he was rambling about what a Blues Brothers 2 would be, he'd be like, oh, and then, you know, uh, maybe this happens. <laughs> and then it fucking happens. And he didn't feel like Elwood to me, man. Yeah, I know what you mean. He feels different. Especially, it's way more, like, since I watched these movies back-to-back, and I think you did too. Yeah, so did I. It makes it... I did last you're, night. I you're able to tell... Right to the next. Oh, you know what I think it is? I think Dan wasn't on coke anymore. Well, yeah, Dan wasn't all coked out, and then Dan was, like, trying to be the father figure in this movie, right? Yeah. There's some funny <sighs> moments early on... Like, him interacting with the penguin again, and she's like, sorry about yeah, Jake, well, and he looks over at the Jesus statue, and then he's kind of traumatized by it. That was funny for a second. Yeah. And then... I guess some of my favorite things in that movie are, like, the characters that came back, because immediately Frank Oz is back in there, right? Oh, yeah. As he's getting released, and you basically realize that, like, this is just the continuation of Frank Oz's character, that he's been promoted within the jail, yeah, and he knows... Jake, right? So you get that. He's like, did anyone tell him about Jake yet? He's like, no. So he goes out there and tells him because Elwood's just standing outside. 
And so I thought that was really cool. But the where it really started to throw me off the beginning was like, so you're going to tell me that this guy's brother dies and he just stands out there with no emotion? Like, if I just got out of jail and I found out you died, I'd be fucking like a fucking wreck. Right. What you I don't know, understand like, is why wasn't his brother also in prison with him? Why is well, Elwood sure in prison but him. Jake's out? That makes no sense. Yeah, and they probably kept them apart, right? There's some things in there that don't make sense, right? Which, whatever. Yeah. I mean, either way, I think they could have just handled uh, John Belushi's passing better in there, right? And, and, you know, I realize it's 18 years later. Yeah, and fucking Christ, did they ever shoehorn in John Goodman's character? Like, who the fuck is this guy, and why do I care? Yeah, and so to me, knowing that, like, when Dan still goes and does live performances with Blues Brothers... He does it with... I mean, I think Goodman Goodman was doing them for just a little while with him. Probably but, just because of the movie, though. Yeah, but Jim Belushi is like John's real-life brother, right? He's been in that, right? Yeah. And it made no sense to me that Jim wouldn't just replace his brother in this for a nostalgic value and the relationship they already had. Yeah. Now, granted, like, Goodman sings okay. Like, you can tell that it's actually his voice singing in there, and you're like, oh, okay, I, I can kind of get that, yeah. but... It just it just felt forced. It didn't feel natural at all. Well, yeah. Like, I feel like at least with them, they could have, like, said, hey, this is somebody else or whatever else. And, you know, there's a, there's a number of ways they could have done it. Yeah, that whole, um... And then Joe Morton, he was such a weird anticlimactic cop character because, like, okay, this is Curtis's son. Oh, Miles Dyson. that was one of the funny... Yeah. <laughs> That's all I know I'm from. Yeah, from T2. Miles Dyson. Yeah. I expect... <gasps> yeah. <laughs> and some of the computer effects they use in this movie were, like, so cheesy because, like, you know, they do some of the ridiculous over-the-top stuff like they did. And it's just not well executed, right? Oh, my God. It, for the so... number, for the talent that they have in there, you know, they, they miss the mark on this. Like, it's... So, listen, <laughs> this part... The part when I got up and hit stop on my VHS, because I have this on VHS from when I was a child, by the way. I got, for Easter one year, Blues Brothers 2000 on VHS and a poster for the movie. I have a picture of me with the poster somewhere. With, like, I'm sitting in front of my Easter basket holding it, and I'm like, you can't, it's rolled up, but I'm like, oh, that's my Blues Brothers 2000 poster. I can tell what that is. You know what I mean? You can see some of the artwork. But the scene where I got up and had to hit stop on the VCR for a moment was um, when they're performing Ghost Riders in the Sky, which I was like, this is going to be pretty cool. This is a cool performance. And then uh, the clouds start rolling in, and you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Reminds me of Ghostbusters. And then some fucking skeleton gladiators riding horses or some shit start riding out of the sky. And I hit stop. And I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck is happening? Yeah, I mean, you get the, like, the visual on there, but this one, like, took some of the stuff just too over the top. I'm just like... The clouds would have been enough had they just been like, oh, look, there's clouds over them. Oh, that's kind of cheesy and cool. Then you see these skeleton creatures, and I'm like, what the fuck? And then I got even more pissed. To me, when he pulls out his remote control... And the car's remote controlled like he's fucking Doc Brown and can do that to his car that cost him 500 fucking dollars. 
Yeah, that was one of those things, too. You're like, okay, this is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, I was... I mean, to me, it seems like a fucking parody of Ghostbusters and the original Blues Brothers, right? Because there's this whole paranormal element going on, like, with the Riders in the Sky, and then um, when Cab, uh, you know, sees Jesus after James Brown sings and, like, flies up in the sky, and then as the Blues Brothers all of a sudden, like, and the kid and everything else, you're like, okay, and this kid's, like, a little badass on his own. You know, it's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, you want to like it, and, like, the musician scene, the Louisiana Gator Boys at the end, like, that's a badass scene, because, like, that's a fucking star-studded, like, group of musicians right on there. Yeah. And then I feel like they missed the mark, too, when they're like, hey, you guys want to jam? You know, it kind of felt like felt like they missed the mark there. It felt like they could have done something much cooler. So here's an interesting and, fact for you. I, uh... Probably 20 minutes after the Ghost Riders scene... My VHS started messing up of this. And I okay. I took it as a sign from God that I shouldn't watch this movie. So I did not watch probably the last 30 minutes of this movie. I was like, well, fuck it, I don't need to. I'm not subjecting to myself to any more of this horse shit. The only thing that I remembered from the end of the movie that is like their... Um, the kind of ending performance... And it's in uh, Baton Rouge or somewhere, right? New Orleans? Yeah, it's down, like, on a plantation, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, even, like, editing the the existing stuff they had there, like, I don't even know how to make a better movie out of it, right? Hmm. You know, just with what they shot. I'm like, how, can you can you tidy this up at all and make it any better? No, that's yeah, what I was thinking. Really. Like, the scene with Elwood and Miles Dyson, I was just like... All right, you can cut this scene in half twice. Like this is fucking boring. But yeah, and th- the performances There's a few moments in there. There's only a few things in there that are redeeming, right? Yeah. So, um Bob's Country Kitchen is the same guy, you know, that was in the first movie that oh, yeah. they go play at the club. Mhm. Right, and so that was kind of a neat nod, like to show that this guy has a family kitchen now or whatever, something silly. And then he kind of recognizes the Blues Brothers. I'm like, okay, that's kind of a fun cameo because it's like this guy is still an entrepreneur. It's not so far fetched that this character wouldn't do that, right? Okay, that's that's fun. Mm-hmm. Frank Oz continuing his character's story arc there, like that was fun. There's some things in there that were really well done and well thought out, and then there's so much in here, and you're like, how did you write this? But you also wrote that. Like, what the. F- fuck were you thinking yeah there were some cringy mu- music cameos like i don't know who that fucking white kid in the fucking that's the thing is too there's a bunch of random sex references in this movie that weren't in the first movie i'm like so you add a kid and then you also add a bunch of weird sex jokes yeah like the whole sex operator line and then like they're working at the strip club you're like yeah some of that doesn't make any sense like with where that's going like right you're, so you're saying all these musicians are sleazy and then there's the potential here. Like, the whole piece that they missed on this movie missed so much was, like, the first movie's, like, all, you know, kind of against the grain, right? These guys are true rebels. Like, they follow what they want. They do their music. They're passionate about it. They're passionate about the pursuits. And then you get into this one where you don't even, like, realize it. Like, they're, they're right. subtly thinking about maybe saying something. Like, the convict privatized prison system he gets released from at the beginning. You know, they make it a point to, like, show you how... 
how much nicer the prisons look now in the modern age, right? Because they're privatized. And that there's like no social commentary on that that you're expecting. You're like, oh, they're going to do something with that. And you're like, no, they don't. They just show convict technologies, the name of it, like four times. And you're like, and it's really, why doesn't that come into the storyline? I fucking hate it when Elwood and them are in the bathroom and he's like, oh, I got to make a distra- distraction. I don't want you to see this side of me, kid. I'm sorry. And he fucking puts shaving cream on his head. Who fucking wrote this, man? What is that? Yeah, it's just so, so bizarre. That part was, uh, yeah, kind of dumb. I was really... And then the the reoccurring theme of the Russians coming in, right? Because they also come in and, like, try to gun everybody down at the end, and then they get turned into fucking rats. Yeah. And then the um, the Confederate flag-toting rednecks come in and get turned into rats, too. I do like that the which, those characters are in there. It's almost a thing where they well, it's kept that social commentary like right they almost want to do a good job of that and like say hey like you know we realize that there's still like racism and there's still like bullshit going on with it and they show them as like confederate flag toting dumb rednecks yet they turn them into rats and you're just like what what the fuck was the point of that like this the build up of those characters isn't as fun as it was in the first movie like cuz you see all these people like coming after to get them like it's the police yes yeah. every well, group is against these that's rebels that's the thing about this movie is Besides the obvious Jake not being there and you having to deal with that, it's very much trying to be the same movie again in terms of, I have to put the band back together, we're going to do shows, and then all these people are going to chase me and the cops are chasing me, and I'm going to piss off um, some other people also. So, like, you know, you have the Nazis in the first one, you have the Confederate flag rednecks in this one, then you got the fucking Russians in this one, and the first one you have the... uh, what the fuck else do you have? Oh, you have Carrie Fisher. I mean, you have, and then you also have um, the police, and both of them are pursuing him the whole fucking time. So it's like that in, in yeah, that aspect. But... the The stakes feel like shitty and low in this movie because you're like, well, I don't. They do because you don't even, even the cops like aren't you're not as invested in right. Like at least with John Candy's character, like you're like, okay, this this guy's trying to like be the parole officer or whatever else. Yeah, and then even after the other guys get embarrassed a few times, they're like, "I'm gonna fucking get those guys." Like in this one, you don't have any of that sense of like adventure on it, right? And more importantly, Illinois State Police are not gonna be fucking following people down to Louisiana. That would be like the FBI, and they never make that transition over to like make it worth your while to even care. Like no one, right? The fucking like, the movie's just like not even not even fun where it should be. Like I get the nostalgia value of it, but it just poorly executed. Yeah, kind of a bummer. But I was just like, well, like I feel like you could. The VHS. Stops, I feel like you so could take like a. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say I just feel like you could take this movie and make a twenty-minute cut of it, maybe, and have a really fun like extended trailer of the movie, right? And just get the point across, right? You could basically make an episode right? of a TV you don't show. Always, yeah, you don't always need like a full like feature to get to some of those nostalgic feels, right? You know, if you just got a decent idea don't go over the time lot, right? Which is... Yeah, um, this movie should have been so change, 90 minutes long. Yeah, because this, this was, what, 126 minutes, I think it said? Yeah. Like when I looked at it to play it yesterday, so... Fuck that. <laughs> for as much fun as I wasn't having, it was way too long, which is hugely disappointing because that first movie's so much fun. And then the number one thing that really 
just pissed me off in this movie, despite of all the other stuff going on in it, is the main Blues Brothers theme you hear playing. You know, the dun 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 dun, you know, like that. Oh, the, uh, it's so fucking slow in this movie. Oh, yeah, it's slow and timed differently. It's a clearly a different recording and everything. I know it exactly what you're talking about, like the kind of just general badass driving around music that they play. And I get that, like, right, you do want a modern recording, whatever. I, I don't care about that. But the fact that they drop the tempo down so much, right, like, that tempo, that sense of urgency, like, really made that, like, a driving fun beat to get into. Be like, oh, okay, yeah, now now we're going, right? Yeah. And hearing that being slow felt like fucking elevator yeah. music. Yeah, every time like, it came on, it kind of just, it, it, you felt off. Instead of hyping me up, it took me out of the moment. Exactly. Yeah. I was, I felt off and was like, ah, oh, I just wish this was kind of the original. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely uh definitely interesting. And then it just didn't know what to do with itself. Like it you know, at times it wanted to be weird and edgy, and like I said, it that's why I think it's almost like a parody of Ghostbusters and Blues Brothers, because like, okay, you got people that get turned into rats. Like inconsistent <laughs> with the first movie, right? Yeah. And like, oh, it's all this voodoo stuff on there. But you don't even give that character enough character development to be like, oh, okay, this is cool. So Right. Honestly, then, it's like I, <laughs> I just keep going back to the Ghost Riders in the Sky scene because there's so many things wrong with it. Like, that's when the kid is all of a sudden a harmonica badass and understands music composition and everything. That's also where John Goodman all of a sudden knows all the lyrics to all these songs. That's also where the remote control car bullshit happens. And that's also where there's fucking skeletons riding through the sky and shit. You're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, it just, there's too many things in there, and like, and I don't know if Landis was just trying to humor him or what, because normally you would think like, okay, with this kind of control, yeah, it just, it just feels so off, and like, you know, like with Cab, like going from being a state trooper or state police officer to being a blues brother and like saying, giving him all this inside information, you're just like, ah, I just, I just didn't feel for any of those new characters, right? Yeah. I almost would have, like, seen, like, I almost would have, like, rather have seen, like, a version of Elwood, like, so fucking dark and dis desperate and full of despair that the band had to come back together to save him. Like, to me, that would be a fucking interesting movie. Like, here's a man that's lost everything, that just got out of jail, that loves the blues, and has, like, lost everything. Like, how do you how do you repair that man and build yeah. him back up? I don't know. I, th and I think that would have been a much better version, but you never know. This movie feels like one of those definitions of a cash grab where they're just trying to milk the success because you know what the Blues Brothers are fucking Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi I don't fucking care well, who you I are also that's feel who they like, are you know what I mean so it's like well I don't even feel like it was a cash grab because like you can't find like they never made a pressing of the second movie like on vinyl for the soundtrack and stuff right and there's plenty of other Blues Brothers merchandise and memorabilia out there and so well the vinyl was completely out and dead in the 90s and early 2000s though remember but i'm saying even even now though no one's like been like hey you know what we need to do a repressing of like you can get a new copy of the original blues brothers yeah well i'm like I, vinyl i believe well, this is known as being a commercial and fucking critical failure so um yeah and the first movie is controversial enough anyway just for the way they overspent like during the production of it and like how they're worried about making any money back yeah but, uh, yeah. 
But speaking of, so interesting things, because I never knew these as a kid. Um, I was just kind of like randomly looking around. I searched Blues Brothers 2000 on eBay last night after as I was watching the movie because it was the only way I could get through is to like <laughs> partially entertain myself with other things. So yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So they made a Blues Brothers 2000 game for the Nintendo 64. <laughs> Had no idea of that. So if you've played that game, please fucking tell me how it is because I've heard it's terrible. Maybe we'll find and, some YouTube you know, like, videos on it, and if not, then we'll have to make one. <laughs> yes. And then to find that out, like, people are also saying, oh, like, this game is as bad as, like, the original Blues Brothers game. I was like, what? <laughs> the original Blues Brothers game? So doing some research, you know, they had a version that was out for the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, the Game Boy, and the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Like, And it all has the same box art, so I don't know if it's all the same game or if they just use the same, like, cover art for all those different versions then but yeah i'm just like how do you how do you take a i mean i guess you could make a really badass car crash game out of it and stuff like nowadays you could do an awesome blues brothers game i bet and like kind of hit some of those same like vibes i was about to say these you days know, it'd probably some, like, be more like a grand theft Isle, grand theft auto style game where you're playing as the blues blues brothers in chicago and you got yeah that would be fucking amazing that'd be a fun game right because then you have some like badass music going on some of your missions are to go get the band back together exactly and you're doing absurd shit and you'd all the time rocket launchers yeah you wouldn't be able to fuck shit up too much because then you'd have police on you right away and police would always be after you and shit and whoever else you pissed off too in the storyline it'd be it'd be pretty fun oh yeah i would definitely be down for that but to like to see that there's these older versions of it i'm like i have no <laughs> idea like if you've played any of those old versions, let me know. Um, I was, like, tempted to try to find copies of it and, like, buy them, but I'm like, well, I don't have a Nintendo 64 or any of the old stuff. You have all of our old systems, so... Yeah. Um, if you get moved up here eventually, then, yeah, then we can try to track some of these games down and do some reviews on them for coin-operated conversations, so... Hell yes. I'm, uh... Just goes to show you, like, how bizarre movie sequels can be, right? Yeah. So the other thing we were talking about, movie timing, right? And so um, shifting gears just a little bit. So the new Bill and Ted movie is only like 74 or 78 minutes long. Really? Yeah, and everyone's like, that's really, really short. I'm like, well, maybe they just fucking tidied up their story so they don't need to fucking drag it out. Like, think about how much better Blues Brothers 2000 would be had they edited some of the bullshit out. That actually kind of scares me too, though. It, it does, but at the same time, I'm like, well, maybe they're just getting rid of the stupid shit you don't need. Well, but it's Bill and Ted. It's all so, stupid shit that I need. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. what can be said? Because if it's 78 minutes, that's just what it is. But I eh, hope it's still good. I mean, I hope it's good in general. I look forward to yeah, it Yeah, we'll see. Well, I don't know. I think that's like a fine balance now because what do you do, right? I mean, people are used to streaming is change the way entertainment's consumed so much like we're still of the I would say a still a large amount of people that love to go to the movie theaters but there's a lot of people that are just content sitting at home watching stuff there so yeah like I still love the theater going experience drive-ins regular theaters whatever that is just yeah. that experience of going out on a bigger screen a better sound system than what I've got at home well you know us, you know just a different gathering type us you know people like us who you know especially our generations who grew up and spent a lot of time in multiplexes and fucking drive-ins and video rental stores after later on. Some people have 
a lot of, you know, the younger people don't have a problem not seeing stuff in theaters, and they don't really give a shit or see the point. And, uh, you know what, fuck it, you can have your own opinion, but, uh, you're wrong and I hate you. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> movie theaters, it's a whole fucking experience. A movie theater guarantees to me that I'm gonna watch the full fucking movie. Yes, that's my biggest thing. Like, at home, it's too easy to get distracted with other bullshit. You yeah. get one text, next thing you know, you're scrolling fucking Instagram or Facebook, and you're not paying attention to the movie, and yet in the theater, like, you fucking silence your phone, you put it, your phone on theater mode or turn it off, or your watch on theater mode, turn it off, and you're fucking immersed in, like, a big experience, right? And the trailer's there, too. Yep. Right? There's just not that experience at home. Like, I bought Scoob and watched it here. I'm like, yeah, that was a fun movie, but it wasn't the same as being able to see it at the theater where you're sitting down and like, okay, this is an experience. Like, I'm invested in this. Yeah. I like, um, big thing about movie theaters is the fucking sound, too. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have a surround sound system system at my house. I used to, and I probably will again when I get my own place in the future, but, you know. It's still not as good as well, a movie theater system. Yeah, so uh, one of the local uh, radio stations here like does some like talk show, you know, just like news format, right? Yeah. I'll occasionally listen to that at work when I'm not listening to podcasts or, or music, right? So I do a lot of driving in. They were talking about like AMC when they were talking about potentially going bankrupt and then, you know, or going completely out of business. You know, they filed for bankruptcy protection mostly because they had no way to generate income and had a lot of debt and try to restructure their debt. Yeah. And, you know, what's that look like to you? And this guy's like, you know, I was like, I have a huge, I like, I think he said he had like a 78-inch screen. And he's like, and I've got a full surround sound in my house. He's like, but it's still not the same as a movie theater for me. He's like, it's a good experience to view at home, but it's not the same as going to a theater and having all that. Yeah. You know, and like I kind of, I kind of feel the same way, right? So, like, you definitely miss out on that. I mean, so we're gonna see more people do home theaters, or you're gonna see like movie theaters like shrink down in size. Like, I don't think they're gonna go away. No, they're gonna I think what multiplexes is, might go away with huge. I lots think they're of gonna shit. go down to. They'll probably go down to two I or four screens. Go, yeah, I, I would say like an eight screen cinema would be a, a very large one in, in, in a decade. Oh yeah, right? that would be like a oh that's that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to go down to two to four screens, and they're going to show your art films or your big blockbuster summer films that are going to draw on that stuff for the special effects, right? Because, let's face it, the reason YouTube videos are so popular now and stuff is it's easily digestible, small format, and, like, the art of movie making, I just worry about the art of movie making in general when people are consuming on tiny screens because... Do you even need to bother putting that much detail into stuff if people can't see it on anything more than like a, you know, I don't care how you have a retina screen. If you're watching on a four-inch screen in front of you, it's not the same as like seeing something projected or like on a large format video where you can see stuff. Like I watched Ghostbusters, and I still see new shit in the background when I watch that movie, like things in the the background scenes that I never noticed before. Yeah, I don't even have... I do that with a lot of movies I've seen. I don't even have a way to watch 4K stuff. I don't have a 4K TV or anything. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, the thing is, people with the 4K coming out, and I've even heard people talking about going past 4K already and shit, and I just don't give too much of a fuck about that yet. I'm like, God damn it. Well, Netflix, I've already had to buy Netflix, all these movies 500,000 times. Yeah. 
Well, that's why I, to be honest with you, that's why I've started going mostly digital. Um, just because like uh, format wars are kind of going away. Like how are you going to get people to keep buying this stuff? Right. Because now you're going to go to a 4k library and like, yeah, most people aren't even going to be able to tell the difference. Well, that's the thing is you're going to have to, Unless it was... it's going to be all subscription based at one point, at some point, at some point, you're not going to be buying digital movies. You're going to be either just renting them or you're going to be subscribed to the Warner Brothers service and you can pay for the new movie when it comes out to watch it or whatever, but then you don't get to keep it. It's going to be shit like well, that. You're not going to have a huge digital library eventually. That's not going to be a thing. You'll have access to all of the digital libraries everyone else has, but they won't be things that we have, I don't think. Potentially, yeah. And if you look at where the music industry is at, like they're way ahead of movies. Yeah. Nobody even buys that shit. No, That's brand, what I'm saying. No. Exactly. That's a perfect example of what I was just saying. People just stream music now almost. I. Yeah. The last music like I've how, been buying has been only physical formats, cassette tapes and vinyl, pretty much. Yeah. And for a while, I was buying all digital music, too, for, for a while, you know, like everything I could, unless it was something I, you know, unless it was an artist I loved. Yeah. But there's so many bands that you couldn't even find physical media for anymore. Like, if you wanted it, you know, buy it, buy it that way, or you had to buy it directly from, from the artist and get it shipped and all that. And, right. You know, like, by the time you pay shipping and other shit, like, sometimes it's worth it, sometimes it's not. So you make that transition, and I think the music industry is ahead, but at the same time, you look how fucked over artists are getting from the iTunes, you know, the Spotify premium model or the Apple Music premium model where... Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone has access to all this shit, but they don't keep it on there. But then, then what happens to indie films? It's going to be like independent music. Yeah, somebody might pay to have it available to stream at one year. You know, there's like local bands or, you know, friends I have in bands that have stuff that were up on iTunes for a few years. Yeah. And they didn't renew their tune core or whoever else they used to host it. And now it's not available. So assuming like that they have it up again there, like, is it still available to buy? Maybe. So some of that stuff you're going to have to buy. So it's, oh yeah, it's quite I mean, a it's quite an interesting. The label I worked uh, with shakedown to, how it's to release all my music was is done through stuff like that. So as long as the label's still around, it'll be up, I'm sure. But who knows how long a digital record label is going to last these days anymore? You know what I mean? Like people aren't yeah, even using uh, record labels. Some people at all anymore and I mean you know people used to say that 10 years ago you can make in music now without using but nowadays it's completely different but I mean you know a record label just has the fucking money so I mean one of the newest artists I listen to a lot is Oliver Tree and he has a huge fucking label behind him and um that's pretty much the only way people are gonna be millionaires now or, uh, you know, for music and, and shit like that. Like, you're not going to have a bunch of... I don't know how to put this. <clears throat> you're just going to basically have a bunch of celebrity-style musicians. You're getting rid of the middle-class musicians, I guess. Yeah, like, some of the bands, like, and that's why people are like, oh, there's not a lot of new music. Well, there is, but these people just don't ever make enough money at it, so they put out an album or two. And then you don't hear about and it. And carry on with what they're doing. Yeah, because they can't survive that way. Yeah. Right, so some of the bands like we listen to coming up, you know, that were coming up in their 
you know, 2005 to 2010, you know, like some of those bands from, you know, even 2000, 2010, some of those bands that have been touring consistently have made it a, a good business model for themselves, but they're like a, a brand name at this point. So there's so many new bands, like how long do you think Surf Curse may be around, right? Well, Surf Curse, like, I love they didn't last... put out, they put out two albums and then they didn't put out an album for a long time and they tried to do some solo music. But yeah, and then like, how often are they touring? No, right? Because that's where you're going to make your money. Well, yeah, touring and merchandise. They tour out the ass. I don't know where to get any of their shit. So they they tour out the ass a little bit, but it's I don't know. Kind of just depends on when and shit. You know, nobody's touring right now, obviously. So yeah, and and that's another thing, right? You know, another huge incentive is like, okay, is this is this model even work anymore? Like, we're at really such a a changing of times here, like you know how's this all going to shake out after the fact how many bands are still going to be able to tour how many venues are going to be around how many movie theaters are going to be around right yeah um so i did um there's a movie that came out recently called girls just want to have blood and it's a uh indie horror movie about teenage vampires i haven't watched it yet myself but i do have a piece of music in there so that's pretty cool. So if you see that Absolutely. online and you're like, hey, I wonder if this is any good, check it out and let me know what you think. I'm going to check it out pretty soon here myself, though. So Yeah, so I think we're going to kind of wrap it down here. So hope you guys enjoyed the show. Hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on Instagram. Hit us up on Twitter, at Frog Bros Podcast. Let us know what you think. Give us your feedback. We didn't have a top five this week because we had enough other content in there, so... Uh, we'll be back at that next week. And uh, So next week is, um, I believe it's going to be our 4th of July special, isn't it? Yep, next week's our 4th of July special, so we wanted to get the 4th of July special out uh, early in advance. That way you have time to listen to it and kind of think of all the shit we talked about while you go through and do your 4th of July viewings. So one of the primary topics is going to be Independence Day and its sequel uh, kind of much like this week, you know, you have a pretty badass movie and then a sequel that you're like, well, that was a little underwhelming for the weight. Yeah, I definitely so, debated suicide while watching it a few times. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, and then Jeff Goldblum does the typical Jeff Goldblum. Hey, in the first movie, I'm going to be a real unique character. In the second movie, I'm just going to be myself. For five minutes. Yeah. If that, so, <laughs> you know, uh, we'll, we'll be talking about some of that in there, and then of course, Jaws will come up on there because that's the original summer blockbuster, and yeah, some of the other things like that we like to do. And um, we're going to be talking our top five alien movies on Earth, right? So, I wanted to limit the scope of like what we were talking about. So, our top five alien encounters on the planet Earth, yeah. So, you could say alien um, invasions, but again, not all alien movies are invasion movies. So exactly. So we'll be talking about just alien encounters that happen on Earth, right? Good, bad, ugly, indifferent. So that's still very broad category. Oh yeah. But limits it down to not having like every sci-fi movie known to man being available. Starman, ET. <laughs> <laughs> he had must have he had a, some sort of a mind ray. <laughs> yeah. Still waiting on my copy of Magical Paths to Fame and Fortune to come in, and for whatever reason, Amazon hasn't shipped it yet. So. 
That sucks. That, that'll be amazing, though. Yep. So we will see you guys next week. Have an amazing week, people. Party hard, and uh, we'll talk at you soon. Yep, be excellent to each other. These are my dinner guests. The Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests. The Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests. The Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. Frog Brothers. These are my dinner guests.